This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Just a reminder, we have note cards for you. Uh, the ushers will have these uh, every Sunday as you make your way in. Uh, they won't force these on you, but please grab one. So as we are ministering, and it's not so much that I am preaching, uh, our expectation every Sunday is that God will be speaking things to your heart. So you want to write those things down, maybe a verse that spoke to you, write that down so that when you go home, uh, you can think about those things again and have it be meaningful in your life. All right, we are launching a brand new series today, and we're t- we've titled it Jesus in the Now. So we're going to be talking about Jesus for four weeks, leading all the way up to the resurrection uh, that we're going to be discussing on the 21st. Um, so it's a good thing to talk about Jesus at church, right? Come on, people. If Jesus isn't about church, then church isn't about anything. Um, so, you know, church is about two things. It's about Jesus and people and getting those two things together. Um, and that's what we want to do as a church. Has anyone ever told you or mentioned to you that you act like one of your relatives? Maybe one of your parents that you, you sound like them or uh, you might resemble them. I, I know uh, Nicole's brother actually doesn't look... Uh, anything like her parents, but he looks like one of their grandfathers, which is kind of strange, so kind of skipped a generation. I know for for me, uh, a lot of people tell me I look like my dad. He's 80, so I don't know if that's a good thing or not, um, and, and sound like him. Uh, when I, a little bit, when we were younger, we would, before call display, I, we could call my mom, and I could pretend to be him, and she wouldn't know the difference. She couldn't tell the difference. And, and my oldest over here is very happy that I'm pointing her out right now. She gets to look like me. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, she's not so much excited about that because like, Dad, you're a guy and I'm a girl. It doesn't go well together. But we resemble certain people um, and we may or may not like that. But what we're discussing in this series is that the series is that we actually should resemble Jesus. That our lives should be moving in this direction as individual Christ followers. That the intention, as we're going to read here in the scripture, is we shouldn't be staying the same. That we should be moving into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is what God intends for us. He predestined. In other words, this is his idea ahead of time. That what? That we should move to the image of Christ. Now, we are never going to achieve perfection, and we're never going to be uh, perfectly sinless individuals. We know that Jesus is the only sinless Lamb of God. But what the Scripture is telling us, that we should be changing to what? Not just more and more like our parents, not just more and more like people here on the earth, but more and more like Jesus. That we should be moving our lives in this direction to the image of Jesus. And this is what God wants for each one of us. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to um, have a way by which we are going to be changing our lives to the image of Christ? That God actually wants to inform our lives 
And he wants to infuse Jesus by his spirit on the inside of us that we can be more and more like Christ. And then we will experience Jesus in the now. That we're going to have God by his spirit with us all of the time. But then another way that we are going to experience Jesus in now is that each one of us will be moving to the image of Christ. John chapter 5 verse 39 says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So the whole story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. All of the stories in the Old Testament are going to be teaching us something about Christ. The totality of the message is about Jesus. And then Jesus also says this in John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now this is a relational idea, that we would know God. Not just know about God. Not just have information about God, but we would actually know God for ourselves. This, Jesus is saying, is eternal life. And he's referencing it or he's using it in relational terms. That we would actually have this relationship with God and Jesus that we read before. That we would be moving into the image of Christ. But Jesus is saying, this is eternal life. Now, that's not just a length of time. Eternal life is not just how long life is. But it is a quality of life. And the best quality of life is having a relationship with God. This is eternal life, Jesus is saying. This relationship that we would have with God, that we would experience Jesus in the now, this is eternal life. A relationship with God. And so what we know from the scripture is Jesus is the express will of God. The book of Hebrews tells us this. So when we have this relationship and we grow this relationship with Jesus, we also change. But he wants us to, he wants us to experience him in every aspect of our lives. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Spirit, soul, and body. That's every part of you. The center of of your life. The breath in you. Spirit. And then our, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. Our mental faculties. And then our bodies. That Jesus will show up in all of these areas of life. Spirit, soul, and body. That he wants to be infused into our lives. He wants to show up. He wants to show through us. We saw uh, some amazing stories there about God showing up in the lives of students. And so, so what happened? We had a team that went up there, a team of worship leaders and a team of, of speakers and a team of people that were helping uh, set up chairs and do a bunch of things and production people. And all of those people as a team allowed God to use them To help somebody else. And this is how Jesus shows up in the now. By people who are willing to be changed. People who are willing to be used by Christ in 2019. 
And this is how God wants to show up in and through our lives. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 says in, in the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we see here that Jesus combines two ideas. Teaching uh, that they would observe everything that I've taught you, his word, and then behold, I am with you all of the time. How is Jesus with us all of the time? He is with us all of the time by his words. Do you remember maybe when you were younger and, and you, and this is always what happened in our home when we would be going places, we would get a speech from our parents. Does anyone get the speech? We gave the speech to our kids. My, my, my dad specifically would give us a speech, give me a speech. And then he would, um, if certain situations arise, this is what you do. And then still today, I get in these situations and I hear my dad's voice. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, he's there with me all of the time. His words are there. Not just in my biology, but his words are in my brain. He trained me when I was young. When you meet people, when you meet somebody older, this is what you do. You look them in the eye, you shake their hand. If I meet you, I will look you in the eye and shake your hand. This is what I do. His words are there in my brain. But just beyond your parents and beyond the people that you knew, God wants to be with us like this. That you would teach people, Jesus is saying, this is what discipleship is all about. That we would be taught the words and thoughts of Christ. And then he is with us. He is with us with his word. They go together. He's with us with his word. The scripture says, the word became flesh. Jesus showed up. And what was he? He was the word. What is, what is the word? Or what are words in general? Words are thought containers. They contain ideas. See, and we, we're living the life that we're living on this plane, so to speak. But God's ways, the scripture says that Jesus came that we would have abundant life or the God kind of life. So here we are living life on this plane. And what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to get his thoughts and ways, his words, his thought containers into this life. That we wouldn't just exist or, or survive. That God wants to get his ways, his words into our lives. Go teach people to observe and behold, I am with you always. So there's a story we're going to look at that further explains this in John chapter 6. So let's turn over there if you have your Bibles this morning, John chapter 6. And it's kind of a controversial portion of scripture. And after Jesus said some of the things that he said, a bunch of his disciples, you know, he had the 12, and then he had a greater group following him at different times of his ministry. Uh, beyond that 12, a bunch of the people that followed Jesus, after Jesus said what he was about to say, they're like, uh, we're not going to follow you anymore. If you're going to talk like that, if you're going to say these things, we just can't hang out with you anymore, Jesus. Even though he had done some miracles previously in this chapter, the words that he said were a little bit confusing to them and they didn't understand it and then they stopped 
following him. So let's read about what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. This next phrase says, I am the bread of life. Now, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John was written in such a way that we would understand the deity of Christ. So John has seven phrases, I am phrases. And the reason John uses I am phrases is because if we go back um, to the book of Exodus chapter 3 when God showed up in the burning bush and he uh, had an experience with Moses. And Moses, after being sent to the children of Israel who were in bondage there in Egypt, he said, asked the question to God, who shall I say sent me? And God answered back from the burning bush, I am that I am. So this is uh, the response of God. And so Jesus has these seven statements in the Gospel of John, I am statements, which shows that he is God in the flesh. And here's one of them, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. Now, when we think about this type of language, what type of language is Jesus using? Now, was Jesus a loaf of bread? Literally a loaf of bread. No, Jesus is not using literal language. He's using metaphorical language. So, in other words, we're supposed to understand something of what Jesus is telling us, a principle, an idea, a metaphorical idea. Not that he's literally... And I literally hear the word literally about a hundred times a day because I have two teenage daughters. So everything is literally. But everything isn't literally. Jesus is literally not a loaf of bread. And this will help us in our biblical understanding. Some people try to um, read language that isn't being said. And when metaphorical language is being used, it's, un- it's, it's necessary to understand the literary devices being used so that we can understand what's being taught. Because many people try to take language like this and make it an actual real thing when we can actually miss what's being taught. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The word became flesh. Jesus is the word of God, the ideas, the thoughts of God. So when we go, when we read the Gospels, what are we getting? We are getting the word of God, God's thought containers for life. And, and where are they? They're, they're in the heart and mind of God. And God is wanting them to show up here. His words and thoughts are here. And he's wanting them to show up here in our lives. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, what do we know about food? What do we, what happens when we eat, um, literal food? Actual substantive food. We, uh, through the processes that God has created in our bodies, we actually take energy from that food. The transfer through our digestive system, that energy then is given to our bodies based on the food we eat. But what about spiritual food? What is supposed to happen with spiritual food? That we're supposed to get energy for living, thoughts and ideas about living from the word of God. And we're supposed to take from that how to live our lives, get energy for life. Purpose for life. 
take away from the spiritual food. So what is Jesus saying? I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. What was manna? Manna was physical bread that God provided for the children of Israel. So talking about that, your, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus said, verse 51, I am the living bread. I am the bread for life. Now we can live a life just based on food and drink and we can eat food and we can drink beverages and we can get physical energy to live our lives and then not ever think anything about how we live our lives. Just exist and just be and just survive. But Jesus said, I'm the living bread. The, the life of God. The ways that God wants us to live and act and speak. The living bread. The, the, the life for our life. I'm the living bread. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the word is my flesh. Now what does he mean now? What does he mean by his flesh? He's talking about how he's living his life. The word became flesh. And we got to see God in the flesh. Where do we get to see it? In Christ. Let's continue reading verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of the Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So what is Jesus saying? What, what is the idea that Jesus is trying to... Is he, is he saying to his disciples, here's my arm, take a bite, friends. And then after you take a bite, go vampire, drink a little bit of my blood, and then we'll really be connected. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, that we would take into ourselves the life of Christ, the life of God, that we got to see, walk around, and act, and talk to people, and say things, and, and do ministry. From all of that, what are we going to do? We're taking that into ourselves. And we're going to get the thoughts and ideas of God, and then we are going to implement them in our lives. But this group that was there, they were a little confused. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, not, not the twelve, but beyond the twelve, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And now what, what is, because they're confused about what Jesus is saying, because in Levitical law, you weren't allowed to eat people, and it kind of makes sense, you're not allowed to drink blood. And so they're, Jesus, are you promoting cannibalism? We're not sure what you're talking about. It's a hard saying. Verse 61, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Listen, he explains it. Verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. The words so it wasn't about cannibalism. 
It wasn't about taking a natural food. The words that I'm saying to you, Jesus is saying. They were, what are they? Their spirit and their life. Something that's coming from the thoughts and ideas of God. That we're supposed to do those things and then we will experience Jesus in the now. Verse 64, but some of you do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning whose uh, were who he did not believe and who it was who would betray him, talking about Judas. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless is granted by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked after him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom... Shall we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know you that you are the Holy One of God. Now, do you think the people who were confused at Jesus' teaching and left, do you think they regretted it after the resurrection? Like, oh, maybe we were wrong. (laughs) Maybe we just didn't understand what he was saying. You know, and that's a good rule of thumb. Has anyone ever read anything in the scripture? You're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Come on now, be honest in church. I have. You read stuff and I'm like, I don't understand. But leave it there. Just leave it there. I don't understand it. Not, not that there's something not good being taught. I just don't understand it yet. So this group that left. Well, we can't follow you, Jesus, anymore because we don't understand what you're talking about. But the twelve, they remained and they said to Jesus, you have the words, the words, the thoughts, the ways of eternal life. That we would bring eternal life into the now. So the question is for us, do we esteem the thoughts of God? Do we embrace the thoughts of God? Do we exhibit the thoughts of God? The word became flesh. Now, we're not going to be Jesus. But the same idea would be true for us, that the word, the thoughts of God, will show up in our flesh. They would show up in our lives. They would show up in our marriages. They would show up in our parenting and in our work. Not, not just living, eating and drinking and living and waiting to die. No, taking the words of God and having Jesus in the now, in our lives. Eternal life. Life that lasts forever. Not just existing, but esteeming the word of God, embracing the word of God, and then exhibiting the word of God in our lives. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So when you haven't eaten for 40 days, you're hungry, right? So here, you you just need natural food. You just need natural energy. And we know that that is true. But there's something more important than that. There's something more important than eating and drinking and living. There's the way we're doing it. 
Is it the God kind of life? Well, here, here you just need food. Do you ever feel that at night? You come home and you maybe haven't eaten for a while. And, and none of us are really starving. Let's be honest. In Canada, nobody's really starving. Most likely. When we get home, we're like, I'm starving. We run and we get food. What if we were to do that with the word of God? What if we would be that hungry for the thoughts of God? That I would go to the word of God and desire the thoughts and ways of God for my life. Jesus responded, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread, the thoughts of God, it would sustain me. I would get energy for my life from the thoughts of God. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them. Okay, what, what type of language is this? Does this mean we've got to rip out pages out of our Bible and be like, you know what, I just need to eat the Bible because the Bible says I ate the word. No, we take it into ourselves. We get energy from it. We get inspiration from the word of God. And I ate it. I ate the word of God. We're going to receive communion at the end of service today. And this is what we're going to be doing as we remind ourselves what Jesus has done. We're not just going to be eating physically, but what are we supposed to do as we remember who Jesus is? We're supposed to eat spiritually. We're supposed to feed on these thoughts. We're supposed to feed on the word of God. Your words were found and I ate them for your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is breathed up by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training and righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what do these words and these thoughts do? They teach me, they reprove me, they correct me, they train me. I, I take the thoughts of God on this level and I implement them down here. So why? So that I can do good things, that I can live out the life of Christ today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So here we have the metaphorical language again. That when I take the words of God, the ideas of God, and then the scripture says here, I do them. I embody them. I exhibit them in my life. It's like building my life on a rock. Why? Uh, verse 25, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat that on that house, but it did not fall. Now, this is not talking about an actual storm. This is talking about the storms of life that we face and it feels like flood and it feels like a rain and it feels like things beating on your house. Has anyone lived a few days like that? So what is Jesus telling us? When we take the words and we, the thoughts of God and we do them, we exhibit them. In the middle of those storms, I'm going to be there standing on the rock. I'm not just eating and drinking and surviving. I actually am taking the ideas and thoughts of God. 
you know, it's, it's very important to ask ourselves, where am I getting the ideas that I live by? The other day I was, I was watching the news and the newscaster said this phrase before, before she started. She's like, here's what's happening. And then she went through four stories and I'm like, is that really what's happening? I mean, like three of them were kind of irrelevant. Here's what's happening. And if you ever, you know, you ever watch CP24, you sit there for like more than 10 minutes, like it starts to roll again. And you're thinking, who is picking these stories? Is this really all that's happening in the world today? And if you listen to news radio, it's the same thing. If you, you know, drive more than 15 or 20 minutes, they go back to the beginning. And I'm thinking, is this all that's happening in the world? These four things you chose to tell us? Chosen by them? Who is them? I don't know. Somebody in the newsroom. But they're telling us this is what we need to know about the world. And if we never discriminate against those thoughts and ideas, we will just be conditioned by the world and we will just think whatever the world tells us to think. And we should know well enough to know that all of the thoughts from the world are not worth thinking. It is not building your life upon the rock. Just getting what somebody in some newsroom somewhere wants us to think about. Have you ever, are you on Twitter? Is anybody on Twitter? If you ever go to Twitter and you you read your Twitter feed, you're thinking, there's like 95% of it. It's like, I didn't need to think about any of that. Here's my opinion about this and here's my thoughts about this and here's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, none of this is helping me. But if you never discriminate against those thoughts and ideas. This is what the word of God is telling us to do. That we're going to build our life upon the rock. Why? Because the storm is going to come. Verse 26. Whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them. So I hear the word and then I don't do it down here. Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew against that house and it fell, fell and great was the fall of it. So we don't want to be that house. We don't want to be that person. We want to be the person that hears the word of God and then puts it into practice. One more story and then we're done and we'll receive communion together. John chapter 8. Now this is a tremendous story that will help us to understand Our relationship with God. Now, what we're about to read is not in command form. It's not thou shalt or thou shalt not. It's a story. It's a story about an interaction Jesus had with a group of people and specifically a woman. And what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to extract something from this story and understand something about the heart and mind of God. And then we should look at the story and decide who do we want to be in this story. And we can maybe find ourselves in this story and be like, Ugh, I'm the non-hero in this story. And if I'm the non-hero in the story, what needs to happen? I need to change. I need to take something from the thoughts and ways of God and implement it in my life. Let's read it here. John chapter 8 verse 1. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. 
and placing her in the midst. Somehow the man got away. I don't know how this happened. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? Here's what Moses says. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get Moses and Jesus against each other. Why? Because everybody believed what Moses said. He had given the law. He had given the Ten Commandments. So they might have already had an idea of what Jesus was going to do so that they could try to catch him. And we see this here in the next verse. They said, this they said to him to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Genius. So before we continue, who are you most likely to be in this story? Now, here's part of it. All of us, in one sense, are the woman. The scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all of us in this room are the woman in one sense. And then who's the other group of people? The other group of people is the one that is like, hey, here's this woman. She's worse than the rest of us. Let's throw rocks at her. These are the bad people in the story. These are the way not to be. I just want to throw rocks at somebody. Now, we don't throw rocks anymore physically. What do we do? We throw rocks with our words. We go on Twitter. And we subtweet somebody. That means I'm going to send a message to somebody even though I'm not tagging them in the message. I'm going to throw a rock. I want to call a friend and tell somebody what somebody did. I want to let you know about someone else's sin so we together can condemn this person. This is not the person to be in this story. So we have this group wanting to condemn somebody. We have this woman who's messed up, which is us. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus said the genius thing that he said. You get to throw rocks if you haven't messed up yourself. So what does that mean? Uh, none of us get to throw rocks. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they heard the word of God. They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now listen. This should inform our lives about our relationship with God. This is not just a story, just to read a story. This is the word of God. The ideas and thoughts of God are in here. Where are your accusers? They, they'd all gone away. The sinful person standing 
in front of the sinless Lamb of God. But what does Jesus say? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. This is so important to know when we mess up and we make a mistake and we get off track and we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus because we should find ourselves at the feet of Jesus when we mess up. We should never run from God. When we mess up, we should always run to God. And other people could have condemned us and thrown rocks at us, other Christians, other believers. But we find ourselves at the feet of Christ. And he says to you and he says to me, I don't condemn you. So important to know. So important to know in your relationship with God that God does not condemn us. What does God give us? He gives us forgiveness. But the story doesn't stop there. Neither do I condemn you. Go now, from now on, and sin no more. This is a beautiful combination. I am not condemning you for your sin. Yes, it's sin. Yes, you've messed up. Now, don't keep doing it. Stop doing it. This is beautiful advice that goes well together. We find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. He's not condemning us. He's giving us forgiveness. But then he challenges us. Stop doing it now. Well, I know I can get forgiveness. So I'll just keep doing it. You know, you're missing the point. You're missing half of your relationship with God. The idea is not to keep sinning. The idea is not to keep doing the thing that's hurting you and hurting other people. We show up at the feet of Jesus with our sin that he forgives us. And then he says, change. This is what we need. This is what we need to take from this level and move it down to here so that we can live it out. We can experience Jesus in the now. Let's receive communion together this morning. Let's grab their elements there, there in the seat pocket in front of you. If you're on the front row, they're by the leg of your chair. You don't have to feel um, pressured to receive communion with us today if you are not comfortable. If you are a follower of Jesus, though, we invite you to receive communion with us. Just some simple instructions again about our little communion unit here. It's the top part of Selivane. And it has a wafer in it. So take that out and hold the wafer. And this wafer is a wafer. It is nothing else. We're going to read uh, about Jesus talking to us about communion. And he's going to use metaphorical language. But we need to know before we read it, he's using a metaphor. So we don't actually think this is the body of Jesus because this is not the body of Jesus. This is a wafer. But this physical thing teaches us a spiritual truth. It reminds us of something. And this is why Jesus instituted communion so we would remember. What should we remember? We should remember about Jesus who was the word of God who became flesh 
and then did something for you and me that we could never do for ourselves. The scripture says that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Because Jesus' body was broken, we can experience healing power from God. Took stripes on his back. What does stripes mean? It means broken flesh. It means broken flesh for him, healing for us. This tells us a story about the word of God. Let's just read it here in Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is his body. What does that mean? Does this mean this is actually the body of Jesus? No, it isn't. But it's supposed to tell us something about what Jesus did in, in his body for us. His body was broken. So ours could be healed. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for Jesus today. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.